You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. Hey guys, here's what's at stake for us in the next few moments together. Like what's at stake? If you've received Jesus Christ as Savior, God wants to transform how you view Him, how you view trials, how you view prayer, how you view God's love. For others of us, this is the most important moment of your life, I kid you not. Like your entire life is leading up to this very moment. The pressure's been building recently. God's been moving in and around you. He loves you so much to bring you to the point that today, this weekend, Easter 2020, you would surrender your life to Jesus Christ, the one who died for you, who loves you, who rose again, who's alive today. At the end of our time, I have a story of another person at that very moment and how they responded a few years ago, changed his life. So let's talk about Jesus. Jesus is the God-man. Jesus came 2,000 years ago. God in human form, the creator came. He is fully God and fully human. Because Jesus is fully God and fully human, he helps us answer a couple of vital questions. First of all, who is God and what's it mean to be human? You ever wonder who God is? Like, who is God? What does God value? What does God feel? What does God think? Well, we can look to Jesus. So when we read about Jesus, like how God, how Jesus thinks, what Jesus felt, what Jesus values, that is God in human form. We can learn about who God is. Jesus, fully God and fully human. He helps us learn, like, what's it mean to be human? Yeah, what does it look like to love God with everything you have? What's it look like to love your neighbor legitimately as yourself? What's the meaning of life? Well, again, look to Jesus. He shows us what's it look like, what's it look like to be human, to love God, to love your neighbor as yourself. He talked about the meaning of life. And as we look at Jesus' life, one of the priorities in his life was prayer. Jesus valued prayer. And so how much did he value prayer? Well, prayer was his connection to God the Father. Like he had a relationship with God. Like he couldn't fathom having a relationship with someone that he did not talk to. So I'll, let's pause there. Just how important is prayer in your life? Like how, how much do you need prayer? How vital, how high of a priority is it for you to carve out some time to talk to the living God most of the days of the week? Prayer was so important to Jesus that he, you know, he was really busy at different times like we are. He would get up really early. He'd stay up really late. He would leave people, disconnect, go off into the woods and just spend time with God. Prayer was so important to Jesus because he knew that God often, like God always told him yes. Imagine that. You know, the Bible says that when you pray according to God's will, when you pray scripture, God tells you yes. And Jesus had that experience. So when Jesus went to God and said, God, would you please help me with picking out who the 12 apostles should be? God said, yes. Jesus' normal experience was hearing God tell him yes in prayer. So when this guy came one time, he had a son who was incredibly ill medically and he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus asked God, God, would you please heal this man's son? He's dying on the inside. God told him yes. 
And when Jesus had one of his best friends die, a man named Lazarus, well, he went to God. He said, God, please, would you raise my friend from the dead? God told him yes. And you might think uh, that the greatest answers to prayers in your life are yes. Like, I don't know what you're praying for these days or what you prayed for in the past, but you might be thinking, hey, the greatest answers to prayer in my life have been yes. But in this moment at Easter, Easter is the celebration of this moment, that the greatest answer to prayer in history was not yes. The greatest answer to prayer in history was actually no. You see, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, who was used to hearing yes, God said yes over and over. When he begged God, he begged his dad for three hours, God, please say yes, please say yes, please say yes. God loved us so much that he told Jesus no. God loves you. And God wants to transform how you view Jesus and trials and prayer and God's love. And for some of us who have never yet bowed the knee, never yet confessed Jesus Christ as your savior, as your leader, never surrendered fully to him, this is the weekend, this is the time to make Jesus your Lord, make Jesus your leader, make him your savior. Let's go ahead and pray right now and ask God to move in all of our lives. Be really open to what God wants to speak to you about. Let's pray. Lord, I just come to you and we come to you this Easter, this celebration of the death of your son for us, the celebration of your love, the celebration of your burial in the tomb and the fact that you rose again. Jesus, thank you that you are alive today. And thank you, Jesus, that you loved us so much that even though you begged God over and over to hear yes, that you accepted and obeyed you embraced God's no. God, move in our lives. Transform how we view Jesus and trials and prayer and your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, we're going to be in Matthew 26 this weekend. Matthew 26 is one of the four accounts of the Easter story. Matthew 26. I'm going to share four quick photos with you so you can actually picture what's going on in our story. Our story starts in a place called the Upper Room the upper room. I want you to picture Jesus and his 12 apostles in that very upper room. In the upper room, Jesus, the night before he died, celebrated the Jewish Passover. Then he established the very first Christian communion in history. And then uh, one of his best friends, Judas, the betrayer, left the room to go betray Jesus. Well, dinner's over. It's around 11 o'clock at night now. It's time to leave. And so Jesus leads his apostles, the 11 remaining ones, out to a valley called the Kidron Valley. I want you to picture that valley in the darkness. On that picture on the upper right-hand side for you, that's where Jesus and the 11 apostles would have walked down that hill into the Kidron Valley. They were headed to a place to our left, a place called the Mount of Olives. Picture that mountain at night. Now, in Jesus' day, there were no buildings in those days. But that building in the center, that church in the center, is the traditional location of the Garden of Gethsemane, the place where Jesus would pray for three straight hours to hear yes, and where God, his, his Father, told him no. The final photo is a picture of some olive trees. Those are actual olive trees today on the actual Mount of Olives. I want you to picture Jesus in the dark and the quiet of the night throwing himself on the ground, putting his face in the dirt, 
for three straight hours under an olive tree to beg God to say yes. Remember, the greatest answer to prayer in history was no. So, let's begin reading in Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Jesus is with his 11 remaining apostles, the disciples. Matthew 26, 36 says this. says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. So here he dropped off eight of his apostles. Judas is gone, of course. Eight of his apostles. He says, guys, would you please sit down? He lets them know, I'm going to go pray. But he didn't ask them to pray. He tells them, I'm going to go pray. It's probably around midnight at this point. Verse 37. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Now, these three apostles, that's Peter and James and John. He took his three, three his closest friends, a bit farther. And, and the scripture says he was both sorrowful and deeply distressed. That's a phrase that deeply distressed means full of agony. And so here Jesus models for us that it's okay. It's possible to be a person of faith and under incredible stress, a person of faith and deeply in sorrow or even depression. Jesus showed us what it looks like to be human. This is verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Now he takes Peter, James, and John, and he lets them in a bit further. And he lets them know he is exceedingly sorrowful on the inside and asks them to stay and pray, stay and watch and pray. And here Jesus also normalizes for us what it means to be human. You realize Jesus himself, the God-man, let somebody else into his inner world when he was dying on the inside. These days, if you're dying on the inside, if you have incredible sorrow, if you have stress, you have anxiety, Jesus showed us that God intended for you to take close, trusted confidants, spiritually mature people, and share with them what's going on inside you, and then even ask them to pray. When's the last time you texted somebody, you called somebody, you sent a note to somebody, I need you to pray for me. I am sorrowful. I am stressed out on the inside. Jesus did that. Verse 39. Verse 39 is our key verse. We're going to highlight two words, come back to it in just a moment. Verse 39 says this, he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So he goes a bit farther now. He's by himself a few yards away under an olive tree. He prays for an hour this over and over. Father, Dad, Father, if it is possible, I don't want this cup. Take this cup away, let it pass. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. But Father, please get me out of this. Take this cup away, but not my will, your will be. It took an hour to pray. We'll come back to those words what is possible? What is the cup? Verse 40. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? When he comes back, he asked a question. He doesn't condemn, but he does ask a question. And in verse 41, he counsels 
them to work together. Verse 41, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Two things about that verse. When he says, lest you enter temptation, that's not you singular, you, you and you. It's you plural together. Jesus says, you guys, you guys need to work together. He understands that your flesh is weak. He understands that you desire, your spirit is willing in certain ways. God understands, he has compassion, but he made us to work together, to work together, to love each other and to love God. Verse 42, again, a second time. He went away and prayed saying, oh my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Yeah, this whole prayer time, another hour praying, he's battling his will, his desire to not have the cup. He introduces the concept of drinking the cup. There's something in this cup, in God's cup, he does not want to taste. And he keeps battling his own desires versus the will of God. That is the battle. That's what followers of Jesus do. We ask God exactly what we want in prayer. And then we come back and say, God, I want what you want more than what I want. Another hour goes by. If you compare other accounts of this moment in the garden, if you read the Luke chapter 22 account, he's in agony, literally sweat. He's, his capillaries are breaking and blood is seeping into his sweat glands. And literally, these little tiny drops of red blood is coming out of his sweat glands. He's under such intense pressure. If you read the Hebrews 5 account of this, he has strong crying, a lot of tears. He has the ugly cry going. He is desperate. He's under pressure. He does not want to taste what's in that cup. He goes on. Verse 43, after a second hour, it's probably two in the morning now. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. I just could not, it's two in the morning. They could not keep praying, kept falling asleep. Verse 44, so he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. God, please say yes, please say yes, please get me out of this. It's around three in the morning. Verse 45, then he came to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand and the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. At that moment, Judas, who had left them, returned with the mob of soldiers and religious leaders to arrest, torture, and crucify Jesus. I wanna go back to verse 39. Verse 39 was our key verse to unpack kind of two phrases. One, the cup, and the other, what is possible. Let's look at, look at the word cup, first of all. It says in, in Matthew 26, verse 39 says, he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, not my desires, but as you will. Okay, what exactly is this cup? This cup, actually, if you, type, if you type the word cup in a Bible search program, online, free searches, you can trace that cup through history, starting in the, the book of Psalms all the way through Revelation. That cup is sometimes called the cup of God's fury, the cup of God's indignation, the cup of the fierceness of God's wrath. 
One of those places, back in the book of Psalms, Psalm 75, verse 8 says this. Psalm 75, verse 8 describes this cup and says, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup. That cup is in God's hand. And the wine is red. It is fully mixed. And he, God, pours out the cup. Surely its dregs, all the wicked of the earth, drain and drink down. That cup of God's wrath is a cup prepared with all of God's anger, a sense of injustice, wrath, and sadness against every injustice that's ever been committed by any person in history. I want you to picture what's in that cup, why Jesus didn't want to taste one drop of that cup, God's anger against injustice, anger against sin. Think of all the wrongs or injustices that have occurred against you in your history. Has anyone ever stolen from you, taken something from you? How did you feel when they took that from you, that sadness, that anger? God squeezed that feeling into his cup, the cup of God's wrath. You ever been attacked behind your back? Or someone attack you personally? Every moment of that when you were attacked was squeezed into God's cup. You've been abandoned, betrayed, hurt, someone hated you, into the cup. God intended to pour that out on the wicked. How about all the wrongs or injustices you personally have committed? Think about the skeletons in your closet, the mistakes in your past. Every moment of selfishness or arrogance or when you rejected authority in your life was squeezed into that cup. Every time you tried to manipulate or control people or situations, every time you dishonored God or yourself or others, every time you did not love your neighbor truly as yourself, every time you did not love God more than anything else in the world, every moment of that was squeezed into that cup. Think of all the worst wrongs, the worst atrocities in history. Every lie, every moment of hatred, every moment of bigotry, Every murder, every rape, every genocide, every time the rich took advantage of the poor for their financial benefit, all those betrayals squeezed into God's cup. That's why Jesus said, let this cup pass from me. He did not what was in that cup, the cup of God's wrath. Let's talk about the other word, the word possible. So Jesus spent three hours. Jesus, who was used to God saying yes to him, over and over, God said yes, God said yes, God said yes. But this time he said no. Why did God tell his son no? Because it wasn't possible. Now, it was possible for Jesus to walk. It was just not possible for us to survive that. Either Jesus would drink the cup or we would drink it. The wrath of God against sin would go somewhere. And so we see that word back in Matthew 26, verse 39 again. Matthew 26, 39. It says, he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, oh, dad. I mean, what dad would hear his son begging for three hours, get me out of this, get me out of this, and not want to get his son out of it? He did. He loved his son. He loves you too. Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup, the cup of God's wrath, pass from me. Nevertheless, 
not as I will, but as you will, if it is possible. He kept saying, Dad, Dad, if it's possible, get me out of it. If it's possible, get me. If it's possible, get me out of this. It wasn't possible. How do we know it wasn't possible? So when I was 19, I became a Christian. I was in Blue Springs. I had some friends give their lives to Jesus. Started going to Bible studies and then church, then reading the Bible. Couldn't believe I liked it. Couldn't believe I was learning. I'll never forget when I was 19, bowing my knee and praying to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. One of the verses that struck me on that journey to receive Christ was this verse, Galatians 2.21. Galatians 2.21 says this. Paul writes, I do not set aside the grace of God. That the word set aside is push away. Paul says, I'm not about to push away, to throw away God's grace. I'm not going to throw away God's grace. I'm not going to throw away God's love. Why would somebody do that? How could someone do that? It's through this if-then statement, this if-then thought. If something is true, then that's true. He says, for if, if righteousness comes through the law, if you could be right with God through some keeping some rule, if you could deal with the poison that's in that cup through some other way, then Christ died in vain. This verse years ago shocked me, and it makes total sense. Like, so I have three kids, Jacob, Kareen, and Mallon. And what if there's a, there's a terrible disease in this world that, that everyone's going to get? Everyone's going to get. And we could find a cure in some way. Or one of my kids is sacrificed, Jacob, Kareen, and Mallon. And they say, Tim, hey, hey, here's the option. There's another way to cure this disease. Or... We could let one of your kids be tortured and die. I'll take the other way. I'm a loving parent. I don't want my kids to hurt. That verse says this, Galatians 2.21, I do not set aside, I don't throw away the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. What Paul says is our normal human response to trying to be right with God is to, if you could turn over a new leaf and be right with God, if you could go back to church and be right with God, if you try to get baptized and be right with God, if you could do good works, if you could do charitable acts, if you could be a nicer person, if you could do any sort of rule, follow any principle and be right with God, that's evidence that Christ died in vain. What a waste. What Paul is writing is this. Jesus' death is proof that it was not possible. There was no other way. Jesus prayed over, God, say yes to me. Dad, dad, say yes to me. Say yes to me. If it's possible, if it's possible. And his dad went like this. It's not possible. There's no other way. You have to drink that cup or they will drink that cup. See, Jesus' death is proof of God's love, proof there was no other way. Guys, the, it's, it's a wild thought. The greatest answers to prayer in your life, in history, so you prayed something, you begged God for, and God for something, and God said no. Could it be that the greatest answers to prayer in your life weren't yes? They were no? For some larger plan and reason that you may not have seen at that time, the greatest answer to prayer in history was when God told his son, the joy of Easter, the good news of Easter. Son, I'm telling you, no. So I can tell the world, yes. So back to that story I, I talked about at the start. So two weeks ago, I got this story uh, from a guy in our church who went through a nightmarish time 
as God brought him to his knees and he responded, would you respond? Would you give your life to Christ? Here's the story. He wrote this. He said, Tim, this is the story of when I desperately reached out to God. It brings me great joy to write this now because I've seen all that God has done in my life since then. To set the stage, he writes, back then, I'd recently confessed some terrible persistent sins to my wife, essentially telling my wife that the person she thought she was married to was actually someone else. It was very heavy, somber, sickening, and gut-punching time. I found myself isolated from my family. I was trying to figure out how I was gonna get out of the situation. I was alone. I'd betrayed them. I was feeling so guilty and shameful that I couldn't face them. I was a fake, a phony, who lied to everyone he loved. It was in that moment that I fell to my knees with my face to the ground, hyperventilating. It was the loneliest time in my life. He writes, I cried out to God. I'd given up. That was the moment that I stopped resisting God and I surrendered everything to Him. I cried out to God to be my Savior because everything else had been stripped away. I gave my life to Christ, he writes. And guess what? He accepted me in my brokenness and saved my soul that day. Peace entered my heart. Of course, there were worldly consequences to come for my decisions. But I could get up off the floor because God was with me. Would you receive Jesus Christ right now? Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com. Dot com.